Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 11th episode of Life Origami Podcast with Alan Late. Today, we continue our interview series. It's episode number 11, and uh, we have a wonderful guest, uh, Roman Prakapchuk, who will share his story of uh, building uh, his business through some unexpected changes in life. I believe that uh, so many of us uh, through what is happening currently or happened in 2020 found themselves in a position where their life uh, expectations, their business expectations, their uh, career expectations uh, were just in such a mess that you needed to make a change or you are in a place where you need to make a change. And I believe that uh, story of uh, Roman can really give insights in terms of what it's like to live through it, as well as how to get through it and come out stronger. Welcome, Roman, to uh, the podcast. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm super excited to share your story today. And uh, let's start from looking at the background of uh, what was the journey that you were expected to live and then what happened. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, I'm a first generation immigrant from Ukraine to the US. I came to the US in 1990. Ukraine was still under the Soviet Union and gained its independence in 1992. Came over with six other family members. So it was one of those things I came over young enough that I was, I went to school right away. So I assimilated well. And obviously, I, I don't think I have an accent at this point. So it was easy to kind of pick up the language, kind of, you know, jump into school. And then I graduated high school, went to college. College, what, I mean, it was a few years. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I decided on criminal justice uh, during college. I also was thinking about going to the Marine Corps as an officer in the U.S. If you are, you know, thinking about becoming an officer or getting an officer commission, you know, versus enlisting directly. So if you are in college and you attain a bachelor's degree, you can basically sign up, do kind of the interview process and go to Quantico, Virginia, train. And basically, if you complete the training, uh, get a second lieutenant commission. So I thought I was going to do that, but um, I ended up getting sick. I didn't know, but I had an ulcer for several years, but it was caused by a bacteria called H. pylori. So I couldn't do the pre-ship PFT, which is a physical fitness test before going to the training and i guess it's a blessing in disguise because i don't know you know what would have happened there with that and then last semester of you know school i had interned with the secret service on the counterfeit currency squad i held the top secret federal clearance that took me like six months to get the clearance and i thought i was going to go that route kind of the federal route uh, you know forensics different like criminal profiling, stuff like that really interested in me. And then, you know, that ended and then I graduated and the recession hit. So state, local, federal agencies in the U.S. froze hiring, you know, froze budgets. And I was kind of stuck applying to hundreds of jobs, couldn't find anything, was kind of down and depressed. And then only thing that really kept me sane was going to the gym. And, you know, I shook up a conversation with somebody I met before. And then one day they said, you know, after your workout, come out, I want to give you something, which obviously could go different directions in terms of a conversation, but uh, they opened their trunk and gave me a packet. It was about search engine optimization. So they said, read this and then take another month or two, read up on it online and you can you know, start doing it for my business. And that's how I kind of got my start within digital marketing. 
So and, uh, yeah. just just let's focus here a little bit on uh, on this idea. So um, basically, what helped you to make a transition is that you put yourself in an environment that supported you, and you connected with people there. And then uh, through knowing what is happening in your life, one of the people who knew you reached out to you and decided to help you through providing this, uh, this information and telling you, hey, dude, look at this direction, research it. Yeah, and it's being open to it. Obviously, I got into it out of necessity. I guess, you know, the saying is like the most dangerous animal is like the cornered one. So it was just like I had no other option because for months and months I was applying and I was applying to stuff outside of criminal justice. So no one was really hiring in the U.S. for anything, you know. Companies just froze budgets and if they had money saved up in terms of, earnings they didn't want to spend it because they didn't know the future in terms of you know if the economy was going to get better anytime soon so i took that basically did that for a few months funny story i've told it a few times that person basically obviously was going to compensate me but his cat got cancer so he spent twenty thousand dollars on the cat so some of those funds that were supposed to go to me basically paid for the cat that ended up passing anyway. But um, it's one of those things where I guess it's a learning experience. And I think it's important, regardless if you're compensated or not, that that skill set that you develop and that experience. Because I value experience a lot more than, you know, mm-hmm. kind of reading something in a book. You have real world kind of examples of what you've done. Mm-hmm. So basically put my resume out there in a company called LexisNexis, uh, you know, it, it's owned by other companies, other subsidiaries, basically in the legal vertical where I got hired. So uh, law firms around the U.S., small, medium, large size law firms. And basically I got picked up as a contractor. So that's another thing where it's like they offer me $16 an hour. So with a bachelor's degree, I'm like, you know, am I worth more? So on and so forth. So I kind of had to put my ego to the side and say, you know, this may open some doors. So there, you know, I was there for about a year and a half and then I got hired, you know, full-time salary. And I was there eventually managing uh, seven figure portfolios of, you know, hundred K or higher spends in terms of accounts. And uh, that's where I kind of decided there also, you know, there's a lot of people doing what I do and I have that knowledge base already. And I saw people leaving, starting their own agencies, freelancing, becoming digital nomads, going to other companies. And I was kind of like the, the stepping stone. So from that, I held a few other director roles on the agency side. I worked with a bunch of Fortune 500 clients, managed teams, um, you know, a lot of pharmaceutical, life science companies, financial services. And then in 2012, I decided to start my own agency. So I founded the agency. And, you know, since then, I've been really running with that. And, you know, it's been a blessing because it's an industry where it's ever changing and you have to keep learning because obviously, new platforms come out, new tactics come out that work in terms of attracting, you know, your ideal client online and, you know, gaining visibility. And it's one of those things, if maybe I got a career where it's like, you know, doing the same thing, not necessarily the same thing, something may change or not, but it's so fast paced in terms of changing with the internet that it always Mm -hmm. keeps me kind of motivated and driven to, um, to keep learning. Got you. Uh, what about the idea, like, uh, to dive a little bit deeper into that experience of um, having that dude actually throwing you over and spending the money on the cat rather than uh, what he agreed with you? What did you learn from that experience? I mean, you have to take the bad with the good. So he basically, you know, 
gave me an opportunity to jump in this career. So if I didn't have that, you know, few months on my resume with him and that, you know, basic skill set and search engine optimization, some social media stuff, obviously social media was still in its infancy. I wouldn't have got the opportunity at the next company. And then I wouldn't got that experience mm. and potentially never really found in my own company. So it's like, you have to take the bad with the good. So, gotcha. you know, if something happens, if it's a setback, a setback or a hurdle, obviously with business, you're going to have financial issues in terms of people screwing you over or not paying you or, you know, and digital marketing just disappearing. If you have remote employees or not doing something on time and you're out of pocket, but it's one of those things where, you know, you can salvage it or you can learn from it and then apply mm -hmm. it in the future. So basically you've, you've used that to build your resilience and you use that knowledge to further to your advantage. You didn't get yourself down, but you said like, okay, we are here where we are. We need to take the next step. What is it? Right? Yeah. And it's emotional IQ. So I'm glad it happened earlier because I would have reacted differently if it happened down the line. So let's five years down the line and I would have had a similar experience. It exposed me to that a lot sooner so I can adapt a lot better for, you know, future challenges. Mm, beautiful. Uh, let's talk about the process of, um, let, let's say, being passionate about you, what you do. Um, how did you, like, was CEO something that you became passionate about through time? Or, or what is it for you there? Or is it was it a stepping stone where you ended up founding your own agency? And that was something that you're passionate about? Where is your passion currently? Yeah, so... I think in digital marketing or, I mean, other, you know, businesses, you have a kind of core competency or you're like the expert in this. So that was kind of like the pillar that my foundation in digital marketing was based out of. And then I saw, I didn't want to pigeonhole myself because the internet was ever changing. And I saw, started connecting the dots. Okay. Well, social media integrates like this paid search integrates like this, you know, local search, online reputation management, and so on and so forth in terms of digital marketing and started learning and, you know, becoming somewhat of an expert uh, in all of those and, and figuring out how they can all connect and work for a potential client. So I think, like I said, the ever-changing, you know, climate of the internet and of the industry keeps me kind of motivated and passionate about it. And also the fact that, you know, you're helping companies uh, employ different people and then, employ more people and then put food on the table. So it's like, even though like, okay, you're running a campaign, but that campaign may have delivered, you know, 10, $20 million for a company that now they can hire more people or keep the people that they have on a payroll. So it's one of those things where it's like, you're a, a direct uh, reflection of that company of your client and you're helping them to succeed. So even though it's not like, you know, you're not a heart surgeon and you didn't save somebody's life in surgery, you're still like connected into the whole kind of grand scheme of things. Mm, very interesting perspective. So you you find in serving your clients and helping them to build their marketing a, a way where you support not only them as a business and driving revenue, but actually supporting their employees, their families, and that's a, a bigger bigger way of uh, giving as well. Like. Uh, would you say that uh, that kind of uh, empathy and a wish to support others, what that was the core thing that drived you in, in the beginning to the Marine and into the service? Or what was it? 
Um, Marine Corps, I thought possibly as an officer, like advanced as an officer, getting into intelligence, then going into, you know, like agency like uh, NSA or FBI, like it would be a stepping stone for that. And then also in terms of kind of picking up a intelligence skill set that then I would have had security clearance and stuff like that. I think it's at the time of that mindset. So I was, you know, 21, 22 at the time. It, it you know, it was, I would say, what was it already? It was, you know, five, six years after 9-11. So it was still that kind of climate around. So, yeah, I think uh, there it would be more of like giving back and, and helping and stuff like that. But I mean, at that time in my 20s, it was still like, you know, selfish motivation. So as soon as I got into digital marketing and working for other companies, it was, you know, getting promoted as fast as possible, obviously getting a bigger bonus, a bigger office, a bigger paycheck. So it was selfish at first. And I think when I turned 30, my mindset switched to more giving back legacy mindset mm -hmm. and becoming more of a, you know, heart-led entrepreneur. Cool. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit more about uh, the business that you're doing, right? So you have your agency. What do you focus on? What is it about? Yeah, so kind of like I said, the core discipline is uh, search engine optimization, but overall digital marketing strategy and attracting your ideal customer and messaging them or presenting them with who you are and information about you that would better, you know, able them to make a educated decision in terms of a buyer, whether that's a product or service um, online and increasing your, your visibility overall. So obviously that's with search engine optimization, optimizing your website, creating a content strategy, a social media strategy, organic and paid, uh, paid search, online reputation management, media buys. So basically figuring out and that's step one for a business because oftentimes they want to throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks, but you really have to start off with, with who you are as a core and who you're hoping to attract because with trying to attract everybody, oftentimes you attract nobody. So figuring out who your target audience is. And once you know that you can figure out where that target audience spends majority of their time online. If it's B2B, maybe LinkedIn. So you do direct lead gen in terms of, a LinkedIn campaign or you're driving traffic from a LinkedIn campaign to something else, or you're, you know, figuring out in terms of, you know, supporting assets or you're running a campaign and then you have subsequent webinars, whatever you're doing, you have to really know who your target audience is to begin with. Mm. Uh, where did you manage through this time of uh, founding the agency? Where did you get it to? Like in terms of how many, uh, how big is it? How big is your team? Where are you at? Yeah. So, I mean, it's around three to four people, but it's a, it's a different model. So I've never had overhead. So before even COVID, everything was remote. So there's no overhead for that. And then there's a lot of outsourcing in a sense, but it was, it was with people that I've networked with and worked with and familiar with their skill set and basically freelancers. Uh, people that have time in terms of, you know, able to take on work. So basically scoping a project, you know, getting a client once that client is, you know, uh, signs a contract and then activating. So it's like people, I, I mean, I guess in the military, like if you're in special forces or whatever, you get activated, you have to come in. So I know what somebody's core competency or skill set is that obviously if they're working full-time 20, 30 hours, 
uh, with me and somewhere else, you know, the majority of the time, I know what their time block is. And then I know I can scope a project out fairly well to understand how much time it's needed for that project. Mm. It's basically activating. So there's no really waste because a lot of the time, like working at other agencies, let's say the agency gets a client in pharma life sciences, which oftentimes have a ridiculous marketing spend. So, you know, they win a 20 million, $30 million contract. Now they hire a whole team. Now, if that contract isn't retained, you know, it's usually a year. So if they, you know, choose to go a different route, that 30% team is, you know, laid off. Mm -hmm. So with the, the structure I have, there's never really like uh, waste in terms of worrying about letting somebody go or, you know, uh, laying somebody off. There's always an adequate amount of hours for ad adequate amount of work. Mm, got you. So basically, it's like contractor work, just like in the army, where you have people, if you need them, you bring them in, they do the work and continue doing whatever else they're doing, right? Yeah, but obviously overseeing the quality of the work, overseeing and managing the relationship with the clients, and basically having a certain level and certain standard that things should be done by, but obviously not having if, you know, that, that contract allots, let's say 20 hours of work, a month for something, but you have somebody full time that has, you know, 160 hours technically in the month, what are you going to do with, you know, the rest of the hours? And if you mm -hmm. have them on salary, they're still getting paid. So I think for me and my structure, it's worked out well that there's not over overhead or a lot of like unneeded spending that that money can be reinvested into other things. Cool. In terms of functioning, right, you as an individual, as an entrepreneur, um, what is your core function in the business? And uh, in terms of activities that need to be done, um, how do you manage uh, your involvement? And where are you in, in terms of positioning uh, and work in the business? Yeah, so managing relationships, ultimately, because a lot of them, obviously, I've built over time. And scoping and tactical planning. I mean, I, I see myself as like the, you know, the chief marketing officer, if you will. I mean, I founded the company, but mm -hmm. I'm the main one in terms of like developing the strategy and tactics. And then obviously circling back, if it makes sense, mm -hmm. team wise, and then implementing and a lot of like client side stuff, like the high level client side stuff in terms of, you know, renewals or scoping proposals and stuff like that. So just kind of top level management uh, strategy and tactics. Mm, all right. Um, how do you manage to like take into account, right? You, this business should be uh, like really strict in terms of schedule to get everything on time, to get everything organized as well. You have your own input in there, not just management. Um, how do you manage to get everything done and at the same time find time for your family and for self-care? Yeah, I mean, that's that's difficult sometimes, I'll be honest. I mean, I have my podcast as well. I'm a foster parent and, and other things going on. Um, just, I guess it, it's tough because when you're scaling, uh, stepping away and not micromanaging. So understanding and having processes in place, you know, in terms of fulfillment or what you're doing as a business and showing and plugging the employees that are in that process or in that, you know, fulfillment in terms of a, a service that they can adequately do uh, the job in terms of like the level of, you know, care and expertise that you require, but obviously spot checking 
and putting kind of your your seal or stamp of approval before anything really goes out. So it's, you know, I guess trusting who you have on your team um, with developing the right processes uh, for fulfillment or whatever you're doing as a business. And I think it's it's hard when you first start because everything is kind of your baby and you don't want to let go. But, um, you know, at some point, if you want to scale to wherever you want to go, you're going to have to, um, you know, take a few things off your plate. Mm. Let, let's talk a little bit about um, systematizing. What have you found for the business that you're doing? Um, what kind of systems are in place to help you achieve that? Yeah, I mean, the the, the most... I guess the, the the first thing I guess project management. So that's where everything is. That's where your team is. That's obviously if you have a process for something specific, like the way you do a specific strategy, those steps are built out in that. And the, you know, the deadlines are built out in that and the time allotment, you know, estimates are built out in that. So I think in terms of a services business, you know, your main thing is really accurately scoping and having a project management system that really documents everything and anyone can reach easily because, I mean, it's been sometimes a bottleneck where, you know, a team member, you know, saves something, let's say in drive or somewhere else, and they're supposed to be saving it to the project and whatever, you know, project management system you may be using. So I think having that really makes everything more cohesive and is like the, the building block of, what you do as, you know, a services business. So I think that's mm -hmm. one of the most important things. And then other things in terms of alleviating time, different tools and software from the marketing side. So different, like, let's say for um, keyword tracking for, you know, search engine optimization, organic search. So you have that in terms of what I personally use is called um, advanced web, uh, web ranking. Um, it's, you know, one of the most cost effective and like accurate things that I've found over my whole career. So, uh, using that and creating dashboards, I think is important. Um, I use a software called Scythe. So it's, uh, you know, all in one dashboard. So you can create a, you know, universal dashboard and feed everything that you're doing technically for mm -hmm. your client. And that alleviates time in the sense where like you're giving the client, you can give the client obviously access. So it gives you mm -hmm. top level information, how a campaign is going different, you know, components of it. So what I've seen is a, a bottleneck in terms of client communication. There's a lot of needy clients that'll just bombard you with questions that could be simply answered if you give them access or a certain amount of access to the information of what's actually going on. Oh, so that alleviates, yeah, that alleviates time in terms of back and forth communications. And obviously if the client has uh, a more in-depth questions, there could be a, you know, ad hoc report sent out like it, it usually is on a monthly basis or, you know, answering an email and clarifying something, but really like delivering and taking things that, you know, even waste a few minutes a day could go a long way because you can use that few minutes to something that's billable or something that can scale your business. Got you. In terms of like the project management systems and things that help you to stay organized, can you give some uh, tools that uh, others can also introduce into their business? Like, can you name some what you're using? Yeah, uh, Asana, um, I've used uh, as the most recent tool. I think I've used 
um, at task. I've used a lot of them and kind of cycle through them. They, for the most part, they all do the same thing, but they'll have like their one unique value proposition, their little, you know, fancy feature. So I think uh, regardless of what you go with, I think you have to look at price point and this, the size of your team and, you know, whatever fits because they all theoretically do the same thing on, you know, a primary level, which is one of those, like all the add-ons that you can possibly have on there. If that's what you're looking for, then yeah, because I, I know a lot of people get tools that, you know, are expensive, but they don't necessarily need them. They need like the, the basic version of it that, you know, only uses a few features, but, um, you know, they elect to go for something more expensive that kind of takes money away that could be used, you know, elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, what about communication? How do you streamline communication within your business to get everything done? Yeah, so I mean, email, Zoom, um, at, at this point, or via the project management system itself, um, and then just kind of spot checking um, before deadlines, during deadlines, after, um, because a lot of things in terms of strategy or what's going on in terms of tactics, let's say pro to promote an event, event, the strategy is using is usually doing before. So what that build up to that event is during the event, you know, communicating with people. Obviously, it's a little harder now in in person events, but communicating, you know, at that event itself, virtual or in person. Then after, obviously, following up with the emails you received, following up with the people that you've met. Um, or we're at your booth for, for a, a system like that. It's just, you know, implementing and having time constraints and really checking and spot checking things before that deadline. So it doesn't pass that deadline. You have like buffers in place that don't create a, a, a bottleneck. So you'll have a task like, you know, make sure where, where this project is, it should be at, you know, 80% or close to finish. Where is it at? And then allotting, an adequate time, so let's say it's in two days and you think it should be done in two days if you're at this step now. So circling back and figuring out where that is. Oh, that, that's Obviously, a great advice. That's a great advice. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it could be done at any level. I mean, I've worked at companies that have had 50,000 employees in five and you know, there's commonality there in terms of bottlenecks, regardless of the size of the company. If you're, you know, a startup, a, you know, privately held company, a publicly traded company, you still are going to have the same kind of bottlenecks if you're in the same industry. So I think creating those kind of like checkpoints, basically, or like milestones, usually it depends on the structure, but that's usually like the responsibility, uh, responsibility of a, um, like a relationship manager um, in terms of a role like client facing and they check up and kind of reel everybody else or a project manager, if you will. So I think that's one of the important, if you get to a certain level and you're in digital marketing, having somebody that has the responsibility of project management, because it will streamline things a lot faster as well. Got you. Now you mentioned, right, that uh, you're a foster parent and uh, you have a lot of uh, other things beside that core business going on. Um, how do you manage time? Do you have like a specific time frame where you do only work and then the rest is dedicated to your family or how do you balance that? Yeah, I mean, so right now, like all the passion projects and stuff like that, like, I mean, my podcast, like I monetize it to a certain extent and it's actually like led to leads in business, both from um, interviews on my show. And then I had a goal of going on uh, 40 other shows or, you know, media 
outlets last year. I got to 75, which almost doubled my goal, which was cool. And that's actually gained a lot of, you know, positive things in terms of like my personal brand and uh, networking and stuff like that. So that's usually done in between I have breaks, if I have a lunch or if I'm doing something during the day or usually when everybody's asleep. So like uh, some of the stuff in terms of like, I still like editing the audio, at least like a final run through for each episode for my show myself. Like I wasn't really big into audio engineering, but there's something like relaxing about it in terms of mm -hmm. just listening through the episode. And then like thinking back because some of the stuff like, you know, leaves your mind from that conversation and like jotting down kind of like those important things. Um, so a lot of that is actually done when everybody's asleep, um, which sometimes I have to catch up on sleep because I'm going to bed at like two or three in the morning. But, um, you know, billable stuff, you know, client development, relationship building, stuff like that is done obviously during the day. And then when everybody's, you know, to bed, I'll take a few hours to, you know, test or read up on or network or connect with people or do pro bono stuff like for charity and stuff like that, usually when everybody is asleep. Cool. Uh, tell a little bit about the pro bono stuff. Like, what's this about? Like, what are you doing there? Yeah, so I've I've helped like uh, different charitable organizations, nonprofits, like no charge in terms of evaluating what they're doing, if they have certain like, um, you know, fundraisers, stuff like that, how to best promote that to make sure their website is adequately performing in terms of being optimized in general, being optimized for that event, uh, you know, developing a social media strategy to promote that, capture that information because they usually are, in the cases that I've had, have a goal in terms of raising, you know, funds for that charity to have that charity obviously function because they may not get a lot of government funding or, or things like that. So figuring out like what the goal of that event is, and, you know, if it's double what they got in terms of donations last year and what they, they're able to work with from a marketing spend, figuring out if they're able to reach or attract net new, obviously donors or people to the event, you know, sometimes it's a concert, or, you know, some kind of charity auction, things of that nature, or just in general, uh, you know, talking about what they're doing. Um, I've connected with different organizations that are in the foster space, foster and adopt, to talk about like my experience and more so also on the, on the other end of it, like advocacy for change in terms of foster care system, because I mean, in the US, there's a lot of holes and a lot of kind of red tape in terms of foster care that you know, I think the the process and, you know, the division of child services can be run a lot smoothly with a lot of less red tape. So just talking about my experiences on different uh, news outlets and stuff like that, and hopefully bringing about some kind of, you know, change or some kind of system that's better than, you know, what's mm -hmm. currently in place. Got you. That's fascinating. Now, let's talk about, uh, like, having all those things that need to be taken care of. Let's talk about goal setting and setting priorities uh, in, in your life, right? We are at a really good stage currently where it's the beginning of the year. Uh, let's talk about how do you plan uh, plan what you got to do? Like, do you plan for the year, for the quarter? What's your mindset and what is the process of making those priorities? Yeah, I mean, I, I have an overall goal. Um, or specific goals in specific, I guess, areas of my life. But 
more so I think it's important like daily, uh, you know, a daily to-do list, which I consider like the the shortest short-term goals that I have that obviously I, my goal is to complete X, Y, Z, and that's in the next 12 hours. So sometimes obviously there's more things on that list on a daily basis than others. So jotting down, uh, I, I wouldn't say going over about like 10, if it goes over 10, I mean, it's not manageable. It gets a little chaotic in terms of looking at, I like jotting it down. Like you can use apps and stuff, but I think when you actually write something down, it's like more tangible in terms of like my mind to actually get it done. And there's something satisfying about like taking a pen or pencil and crossing it off a list. So writing those 10 things down and then prioritizing for that day. So, you know, the, the, the top three things that you absolutely have to get done. So technically those seven could either um, be uh, given to somebody else if, if it's a work-related thing or if they are figuring out who to assign, if they can alleviate that or take that off your plate or some things that aren't imperative to get done that day. So like it's a nice thing to do now, but technically it could be done by let's say Friday and, and figuring out and structuring it like that. And I mean, setting general ones. So like I had the goal, like I said, to be on uh, 40, 40 different shows or doing 40 different podcast interviews and media publications. Like I had a document tracking it, but I wasn't like, oh my God, I'm at 39 or whatever. It's just like, you know, what naturally came. And then, you know, I checked that at the end of the year and I almost doubled it, which obviously is great. Cool. In terms of, you said, you mentioned, right, you have like that major goal that you're working towards. Do you have like a lifelong vision or how far ahead do you plan? Yeah, I, it's it's one of those things I feel any any goal is a moving target, at least personally. Because if I have a stationary goal of, let's say, um, selling my company in the next 10 years, I don't think in 10 years that may interest me. Um, and like I've had people on my show where like one of the common questions I ask is what motivates you to succeed? Those motivations were different 5, 10, 15 years ago. So what I'm currently like motivated by and driven and what like my vision is now based on my situation in my life and the variables around me in one year, two years, one month, maybe one week may be totally different. And I have to kind of pivot the, how I'm going to achieve that. So I think keeping goals as moving targets instead of stationary destinations for me keeps me that more driven. Got you. Um, in terms of um, doing that to-do list, right, that you, you plan out on a daily basis, uh, do you jot down in a journal or is it just a piece of paper or how do you do that? I have a bunch of journals and a bunch of notebooks. <laughs> Unfortunately, I open them up maybe once a month. So it's literally like rip out a piece of paper out of a notebook and then just, you know, I'm a lefty writer. So I'm like kind of sloppy too. Sometimes not legible at all. But um, yeah, just quickly what comes to mind. And I think if you have to think about it, um, for for a long time, it's really not important for that day. So things that like on top of your head, one, two, three, obviously something you may miss, but don't like overthink like because you need like these 10 things to get done. Like if you can think of five things, great. You can add something later in the day, but don't like overthink it because I think if you're overthinking it and then looking for things to accomplish that day, they may not be in a grand scheme of things as important to get done that day. Mm. In terms of project management, right, and managing what you have to do in the business, uh, how do you structure the project itself? Do you use a specific system or uh, what helps you to plan out the project so that you know that this would become real? 
Yeah, so there's different, obviously, components that are already like structured, like a fulfillment process. So onboarding of a new client, launching a certain effort, obviously um, developing content strategies. So there's like steps for each of those. So, you know, how to do a, a content strategy that is obviously user focused and doesn't necessarily uh, focus on search engines alone, because back in the day, people were just writing bad content to appease getting on the first page. When I first started, it was like the Wild West, which was awesome in the terms of like uh, getting to the first page and ranking for certain terms with, you know, tens of thousands of monthly searches. But in terms of user experience, you have to think, okay, you have a piece of content. Okay, you're on the first page. But if somebody gets to that page and they're not there or the information that's there isn't what they're looking for, they're going to bounce. So eventually, the bounce rate is going to be extremely high, even though you're on the first page. Google or any other search engine wants to appease a searcher. So the information on the first page has to be as relevant as possible. So if your bounce rate is going up, theoretically, even though you you know rank high, eventually you're going to be bumped down because that user experience is so low, it's not any adding any value for anybody visiting. So it's like one of those things. So having a strategy, obviously, for that, having a content strategy for, let's say, social media content or asset creation or video creation. So each component, each, you know, if you're creating uh, content of different types uh, in-house and how to kind of push that into the market, if you have a tactic, so, you, you know, you created a video to then go on a specific, you know, YouTube channel or wherever you're putting it, and then you want to do, you know, market with that video, where are you going to market it, what is the spend? So having like that specific fulfillment process for each of those components. Mm. So basically, you create a structure, like a template for every single business process that you have in the business. And then when uh, that happens, you just come back to it and use it adapted to the current situation, and then you're ready to go as fast as possible. Yeah, it's a rough framework for the most part, because obviously no two um, clients or no two campaigns are alike, but having that you know roadmap is important because it, it at least uh, keeps you on track in terms of timelines and keeps you on track in terms of like the biggest thing. So like, you know, create or develop the video, uh, record the video in person or use assets to create it. So let's say you allot, you know, a week to that. And then, you know, five days for, for edits. So you already know, like, regardless of what the strategy in there is, which is unique to that account, which obviously you can add specifically to that. So, you know, shooting on-site versus, you know, remote, what's the time frame? All of that can be added, but like I said, that framework will you know keep you on track. Got you. Um, let's talk about marketing and business growth. Uh, in terms of daily, weekly, and monthly activities, what would you say are the most important and pivotal for your business, and what, or maybe what can you can generally recommend to other people as well? <laughs> My dogs are bugging out right now, but um. Yeah, I think networking in general, regardless of whatever your industry and making connections because it's relationship building, even though certain components even of uh, digital marketing. So uh, search engine optimization, you have on-site, which is content strategy, you have off-site, uh, link building, and then you have technical, the way the site is built, how it performs, how it functions, the speed of the site. So I incorporate that relationship in terms of helping you 
position yourself. So promoting your own content, syndicating your content um, in terms of kind of link building also before people would like reach out, Hey, can I get a link on your site or doing things or efforts that are kind of free. So like free directories, free, this, free, that, that doesn't carry that much value in 2020, 2021. So incorporating things of a different um, content type. So like I've been pushing, like I have a podcast, I believe the audio medium is superior in terms of marketing. So I've actually pushed um, different things in terms of effort. So I worked with uh, PRX before. So it's a top five podcast network um, in terms of media buys on shows like TED Talks, TED Talks Daily. So I'm familiar with working with, you know, podcast networks and stuff like that. And I don't think I would have had that relationship if not, you know, podcasting myself. So I think that opened up doors and then seeing how going on the shows and my show. So like, okay, your site or your show is on 30, 40, let's say whatever amount of sites in terms of like audio consumption, majority of them carry over that backlink. So technically if you're launching an episode, wherever you're hosting uh, your audio, then it's syndicating via the RSS feed. It's like a syndicated option. So from that one link, if you're linking to a client's website, you may have 40 different backlinks from, you know, 40 different sites that obviously can also deliver referral traffic as well as, you know, SEO value to a certain extent. There are no follow links. There's follow and uh, no follow. If a link is follow, it directly passes kind of that SEO value. No follow links are still valuable um, just in case somebody doesn't. Uh, no. And then, you know, a lot of podcasts have websites too. So you can have a, a bigger write-up in terms of who you are or what you do and then link directly also. So I've utilized like the interview process and created, you know, um, workflows and services that really adapt to 2021 um, where stuff like that relationship building carries over to you getting a PR opportunity, which I think I consider a podcast interview a PR opportunity, as well as an organic traffic and referral traffic opportunity, as well as a social media opportunity. So like, I think helping clients and incorporating uh, the audio medium, podcasting, advertising on podcast networks have opened them up to reaching their audience in a different way, consuming content in a different way, and then adding value to their overall campaigns. Mm. In terms of strategies of how to implement that into business, uh, let, let's talk about networking. What kind of networking opportunities can entrepreneurs find or activate themselves into on a daily basis? People, I think a lot of people are discouraged to do things. Uh, they just feel like it's just too daunting and it's because they didn't try. Um, so one year, obviously it's dependent where you live. So like I'm about 50 minutes away from New York City, about 45 minutes from Philadelphia. So obviously New York City, you can network and meet a lot of people that you may have seen on YouTube or at a conference or stuff like that. So I had a goal to meet as many people as I wanted to that, you know, off of a specific list or that I've learned something from or I wanted to talk to more about, but for free. So like not at a conference, not at like paying for some event. So uh, that year I met Gary Vaynerchuk for free, uh, Lewis Howes, uh, Gerard Adams, Max Levchin, which is a co-founder of PayPal, and just getting into events for free, 
finding things in terms of networking opportunities where you can connect to like C CMO of Walmart or of, you know, jet.com and all of these things are like completely free. So like you have to look for it. It's just, you know, people think that other people aren't reachable or attainable, but you'd be surprised if you actually did the legwork or you had somebody internally, like a personal assistant, you come up with a process to find these opportunities and really capitalize on them. I mean, it's, it's a lot of it is just a, a lot of research and a lot of uh, then building that relationship. So, you know, right now, I, I think my podcast and other podcasts have has been a good source of, okay, I'm on an interview, but, you know, we made a connection outside of the interview. So in the future, we may be able to help some, you know, each other in some way. Now, that obviously isn't the reason why I connected with you, but if I can help you in any other way in the future, you know, I'm more likely to do so based on, you know, our communication and uh, based on the interview. So I feel like even with 2021, like it's a whole different kind of climate. Just because you can't meet in person doesn't mean you can't meet at all. I'm actually like part of a group uh, for Inc. Magazine. It's an Inc. Solopreneur group. It's like a beta group for, you know, like top, uh, you know, smaller size companies globally. And they had a uh, Inc. conference about a few months ago. And they had an interesting concept. If I figure out the name of the platform, I'll let you know off air. But they had a... Uh, digital networking where it's basically like okay 30 people jump on that sign off for it and it like shuffles the people and then pairs them together and you get a five minute clock and you just like wrap and network and it just rotates and then the next person pops out and then the next person so like in that hour you know i got like 20 people that i talked to which pushes you to interact as well because obviously there's introverts and extroverts mm -hmm. and that structure really pushed and I kind of I think opened up regardless of who you are because you're kind of put on the spot and really if you really share the time time and don't hug the time with the other person you have you know two and a half minutes to really refine who you are and you know what your unique value proposition is as a you know person or what you're about. Yeah, very cool. Uh, what would you suggest to start with to start finding those free opportunities? Uh, honestly, like when I started using Facebook to actually like connect with people, when I started podcasting, that was like the biggest thing. So, uh, you know, even I think LinkedIn has really come a long way in terms of a con like turning into a content platform, but in terms of like their groups, there's still a lot of inactivity in terms of even large groups. So I would say whatever you're interested in, join a Facebook group. I think if it's a specific area, if you ask a question, people are like, you'd be surprised how helpful people actually are or to offer some kind of free advice or advice. I mean, right now they have, I mean, it's um, on uh, Apple only and then Apple Play Store, but they have Clubhouse, which is like an interesting format now in terms of um, just an audio social media type, uh, well, social media platform that's focused on audio. We can like literally like be in a room and learn from like, you know, top industry leaders around the world. Um, I've been kind of pissed that I didn't, re, uh, you know, roll out on Android and I thought I could go on my wife's iPad and they had it in the app store for iPad or like that, those devices, yeah. but they did not because I've had, you know, several people send me invites already, which I guess it's invite only at this point. Mm -hmm. And like, I can't get on because I don't yeah, have an iPhone. I feel you. <laughs> I just like in the previous conversation I had like, a couple of days ago, they, they said like, yeah, like get on there like it's just such a good opportunity to connect the network and i was like i don't have it i have android <laughs> that's it need to find a simulator how to get on there 
Well, all right. Talking about uh, goals, we, we've understood how you plan. Let's talk about um, outsourcing and uh, managing people. Um, what kind of advice can you give to other, other entrepreneurs in terms of outsourcing their tasks? Yeah, I think it's what you're actually trying to outsource and where you're hoping to go. So, I mean, me personally, I'm from Eastern Europe. And in terms of Ukraine, Ukraine has a lot of good, you know, web development and engineering talent. Like I would compare it with, you know, something like in terms of par anywhere in the world, you, you know, they're, they're, you know, comparable or competitive. I mean, a lot of companies in terms of being founded are <laughs> from Ukrainians are straight out of Ukraine in terms of like the tech industry now. Um, but I mean, it's what your needs are and what your um, goal is in terms of a business as well as like what your budget currently is. So a lot of stuff that I do, like I'll tap uh, in terms of structure, I'll tap people that are US based that I've worked with and I have a personal relationship with and, and know they're either a freelancer, a digital nomad or uh, work with partnerships with other agencies. So say like their, their structure or they're really good at or what they want to do um, is paid search because in, in digital marketing, like you can be a full service agency or like we are the content agencies, we are the social media agencies. So some agencies like that's all they want, but then they'll bring in a partner and then scope like the proposal out that way, which I've had a lot of the time where agency comes to my agency, hey, you know, we've seen what you've done with XYZ. This is what we're trying to do for this, you know, potential client. Can you scope or, you know, do a proposal or what would it cost and what is included within that? And obviously you include that in the price point. If it makes sense, they'll go back to the um, that proposed client. And if they end up signing a contract, you basically deliver it. I mean, it's in a way like white labeling. So like your service, like, I mean, sometimes that um, that agency will say they're working in partnership with me or my agency, or sometimes they just want to say that it's them and take credit for it, which is fine because, you know, if the completion there, it's there. So just depending on that structure. So like you can utilize freelancers, you can utilize, you know, uh, outsourcing internationally, which has been popular over the years in terms of global economy, or like I said, like work with other like-minded businesses that kind of refer out business to you as well in that sense as well. So like, and, and maybe like there's some times where it's like, there's too much overflow for this one project and there's a deadline you can tap, you know, people on a, you know, as is basis, including, you know, agencies that may bill by the hour and not necessarily by like a contract. So, I mean, it's situational, like what your actual needs are. Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of hiring uh, from abroad, what is the process that you stick to? Maybe you can give some advice in terms of what to look at, what to focus on, to uh, maybe, you know, make sure that the agreements are met or what do you specifically look in people when you outsource abroad? Yeah, I mean, that's a hard one when somebody that's fulfilling and it's on your team on the other side of the world, like you have to build that trust over time, but even before you know, making the decision about, you know, bringing on that person to fill a, a need or a role, I think it's important to see what they've done. So really understand that. And not only like them presenting, okay, here's a, you know, this is a body of work, but figuring out some of their past or current clients who you can reach out to and really speak to. Mm -hmm. So figuring out who they are or how they work with them, because that's one thing to fulfill, but it's another thing how that relationship and that communication will work. 
Mm. So like, or they may be really good at fulfillment, but in terms of communication and relaying things or working remotely with a, a team that's global, they might be combative or may not share information the way you want. So really understanding what their process is, not only like their capabilities, so like what their uh, hard skills and soft skills are. So like what that, you know, knowledge base is, you know, what they've done for clients, but also so soft skills, like in terms of leadership, in terms of emotional empathy, uh, emotional IQ, uh, if any information from former people they worked with, not only clients, but if they worked with team members. So getting as much information as possible to make sure that they're a good fit, both from like a tactics and, you know, competency level to like a good over, overall fit for your team, which I mean, regardless of who you are, you're probably remote right now anyway. So do you give them some, uh, like, do you hire straight away or do you give like test, uh, test, uh, I don't know, tasks, or you let them work for a project for a small fee and then introduce full on or what's the process? Yeah, before that, it's just kind of like going through like a sample sample set or something like a, a portion of a of a campaign that isn't necessarily like tied in. So like the strategy and tactics are already there. So it's not like something that they can like sabotage on that end if there's something that they don't know, but something that they should know to be able to be competent. And then everything else, like if they're, you know, hungry enough to get to a certain level or attain more knowledge, I think having to... Um, Demonstrate that and demonstrate that passion is important too, but really showing that in a portion of the project, not necessarily like here, uh, I'm bringing you on, you know, a portion of time and see how you do before even someone's hired, really give them some kind of a test example or have some kind of like screening process in that sense. Um, and then, you know, slowly kind of like usually on like a discretionary basis, like start integrating them on certain tasks. If there's tasks that, um, that overflow to different projects. So if you're doing the same thing, if you have a similar thing for like five, you know, five accounts that has to be done that week and you know that you trust them with doing that, have them do that across those five clients and then start giving them more responsibility as you feel more comfortable. But I think really having like a, like a trial process is important as well. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like I had an idea, I, I totally forgot it just now. <laughs> I also wanted, wanted to ask about um, in, in terms of uh, getting those people on board and working with you, um, do you have, like, how do you understand how much uh, to pay them for the work they do? Because uh, as, uh, like, as they say, like each country has its own uh, price points that is an average wage and so forth. How do you make that decision on how much you compensate them for what they do for their work? Yeah, I mean, it's what you want to invest, I guess, overall in that role and in them. If you see them being a vital part of like an integral part of your team or your business that you can't necessarily kind of like if you see that like they're the best person they've seen in that role you know, in 10 years, then, you know, make them happy and make them feel obviously like wanted and appreciated. Sometimes obviously a business has to run and it has overhead, but usually like what's comparable um, for that, um, for that country. And sometimes a little bit more, obviously like countries like Philippines, India, Pakistan, like the rate is really low. If you pay them at least like maybe even like the minimum wage of that country that you're in, um, 
it can really like deliver a lot more value in that sense. But I mean, it depends what like the investment is, um, are you, what you're kind of willing to invest in that too, because you do have to run a business as well. And I mean, communicating that and being flexible with that and being able to pivot. Okay. This person has done a great job for a month or two. Maybe we, you know, compensate them some more or mm-hmm. figure something out where it's like di- a different pay model where it's not hourly, but if it's on a project basis. So, but I mean, even the, in the U S like it's, it's ridiculous. I worked for an agency, an agency. I had a uh, pharmaceutical account. Um, it's a global company basically for eight hours of my time, that agency was getting $40,000. So, and I was getting a salary. So you can only imagine like <laughs> what, what the, the margin there was and nobody else. Like I was, I was managing the team that, you know, created all the assets. I created the strategy. I approved everything before it went out the door and, you know, everybody else, my agency got a check, but it's just one of those things where like sometimes it's better to pay more in, in the long run to kind of have that reputation and really like get a good standing. If somebody's worth it, I, I recommend like keeping them happy. Got you. Uh, in terms of um, trans, like transmissioning from being a solopreneur into a business, uh, what do you believe the first hire uh, should be or can be for a business? Well, it depends. Well, I'm, I think you should really jot down like what what all those operating tasks are. What are you currently doing? Like, obviously, if you're a solopreneur, you're doing financials. If you're not in marketing, you're trying to market your business, put it out there, get new clients. Um, if you're not in marketing, I mean, I would I would say a hybrid sales and marketing role um, or someone that can actually like take on billable hours. So regardless of what you do, like as much as you can take off your plate that's billable, then leaves you to, you know, um, business development, uh, networking, you know, prospecting or whatever like your passion is or whatever that thing is in terms of like the building block you think will get you to the next level in terms of a business. Now, some people would like to stay on the level, which is fine. But if you like want to scale, I think having that hybrid role or, evaluating that from a situation to situation basis where like most of your time is being sucked. And if you can group that in terms of a set of skills and duties and create like a, even a hybrid role sometimes like, okay, you're hiring somebody for marketing, but you know, they may have like a, like a, a tax experience or like a financial experience. Like, yes, this is your core competency, but you can you take over billing clients for me as well and stuff like that. So really sometimes creating a hybrid role and getting as many things off your plate as possible. Mm, good answer, I like it. Uh, let, let's look at um, uh, the buyer's journey. And uh, what do you believe in the buyer's journey is one of the most important steps and how to maximize the conversion of that step? Yeah, I mean, convincing, I think it takes, it, well, for me, in terms of like the industries I work, it takes like seven, eight, nine touch points to actually get uh, an action. So uh, a form submission, a call, an inquiry about a demo, a, you know, selling directly or selling a, a product or a good. So it takes that much to get to it. So having your content strategy and having, so I think to simplify marketing, it's basically 
having your core assets and materials, who you are, what you do, and why you, and then packaging that for each place that you're going to position it. So obviously you have that message and how do people consume content on where you're positioning it? So, okay, I have this, let's say video, how do I incorporate it? Because majority of my target audience spends their time on LinkedIn. LinkedIn versus Facebook versus obviously it's it's rare if you're targeting on LinkedIn and then you're going to be like really active on TikTok, but let's say TikTok or let's say, um, you know, just I think the, the way content is created, there's only so much you can do, right? Text, uh, audio, video, and image. So incorporating all that to tell your story and then putting your story to where it could be delivered, where your target audience spends most of your time. So having all those assets created and then plugging them in in the sales process. So like obviously to begin with, you need some awareness and how you're going to build awareness. So some of the things you may do that, you may do retargeting. So really having that content in place to get you through that whole buyer cycle. So, you know, having social, uh, social media posts, having things like that kind of just tips the iceberg, having a great landing page on your site having additional assets. So having videos, if you have different audio clips or interviews about speaking about your product or service, and then having like, like database things that really get you over that hurdle. So if like a potential prospect reaches out to you, you know, I saw you online or whatever, can you give me more information? Really have like that data backed information or assets ready. So case studies, white papers, and the news articles, things where like really demonstrate what you've done or what your product does to, to basically alleviate that concern. Because the last kind of like hurdle is, you know, why should I go with you and concerning like, you know, it, it's like eliminating the doubt, I think is one of the last steps in terms of getting somebody to sign and figuring out that last point of, okay, this is why you should go with us uh, versus your competitors and really demonstrating that because people create content to fill that funnel. But a lot of it is, a lot of the time it's very, um, very kind of like tight and, and, mm -hmm. and dry and doesn't really show who a business is. So showing who a business or a company is or what their core values are, mm -hmm. I think really helps you alleviate or amplify that message and really helps you connect on that sense as well. Here's a great question for you. Um, let's think about, right, the business uh, is potentially pivoting or they are entering the online and uh, what would you say, like, if we take into account that uh, we need, let's say, five to seven touches, touch points for uh, people to reach out to you, what do you believe can those, like, let's say, average, like, seven to ten first pieces of touch points be for a beginning business that didn't have, let's say, uh, didn't have clients or results before in that sphere? They're just starting out. Uh, and want to position themselves, what can they have as touch points, those b base ones? I, I think really demonstrating your process or like whatever it is you do, really making it very clear and easy to understand. Um, I mean, in, in, in pharma life sciences, financial services, you know, business analytics, stuff like that, like oftentimes it's very complicated. The software is new. What it actually does, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of integrations things of that nature. So really kind of, I guess, dumbing it down to a level where anyone in the decision-making process 
may understand. I mean, usually like sometimes you're targeting a specific uh, decision maker, let's say a CFO that will ultimately sign a check, a CMO. But I think thinking about it, like having anyone at that company understand what you do and what value you add, I think makes it as easy as possible. And like, gets you past that barrier of entry in terms of, you know, understanding. So having that, having like how to's, having FAQs, having a video that walks you like through, and then on the the opposite side, like really showing who you are. So like having videos of like employees really show like what it is, what they do at the company, what the company means to them, or like a, a letter or statement from the executive team. Like, this is what we're about. This is what our core values are. You know, this is what we're trying to accomplish. And if we align with who you are, because I mean, ideally, I think any business relationship, like they, they want to be like-minded, you know, they want to be on the same page. So you're not necessarily like, if you have the option, hiring somebody that goes against kind of your core values or what your business is about. So really demonstrating that, and and I think that'll help you connect a lot better and faster with, you know, a, a target audience or a prospective person that you're possibly working with. In terms of uh, like looking a little bit deeper into the aspect, like what do we stand for? What are the values? What do you believe? What kind of pieces of content can be created as a foundation? Yeah. So, I mean, it depends if like the founder of the company is still there. It depends like, you know, usually you have like your, you know, statement of who you are as a company and like building on that. Okay. You know, we're caring, but what does that mean? You know, we're caring, we're caring because we're in this community. We've helped this community, um, you know, grow. We've created, you know, a hundred jobs within this community. We volunteer all the time. We do environmental cleanups. So really showing that like, personal side of the company. So, you know, any volunteer work you do, any, you know, pro bono stuff you do, any humanitarian stuff that you do within a community or within like who you like just demonstrates who you are. So it shows you outside of a boardroom or outside of a meeting room or outside of a cubicle, who you are as a company, you know, how employees actually interact. Because I mean, you can put anything online, honestly, but eventually like if you do enough research, you'll find the truth. So I think like figuring out like the camaraderie of a company, because I mean, there's a lot of companies that make a lot of money, but aren't necessarily great places to work or kind of toxic and have a toxic internal culture. And in terms of making a decision, like really demonstrating like, okay, maybe like you're, you know, one of the things that you want to highlight is your executive team has stayed together for let's say 10 years. So like there's that camaraderie there. People don't jump ship or jump around. I mean, obviously there's a lot of businesses in terms of like an executive or C-suite, you know, the C-suite person is usually the first one cut in terms of something not working, but really figuring out like something that really stands you apart and really that helps you connect to, you know, ultimately, who you're trying to reach. I would say stories about individual employees. Like I like if, if I'm like trying to um, collaborate or partner with a company, really going through their employees and see how much I can learn from like that employee page. Sometimes it's just a picture, but I really like, I like when it's like personal. So, you know, this person, you know, has come from here to there. Like they, this is how they, this is what they do in their personal lives. This is what they enjoy. Uh, this is like how they interact with their employees. You know, the company sponsors, uh, you know, charitable events, they sponsor team building, whatever. So really getting that personal side of the company and the executive team and really like showing who that potential client is going to be working with and making them feel comfortable.
that sounds something more in lines with corporations where uh, you do have a large team and a C-suite and so forth. Does the same thing work for smaller companies where, where there is a solopreneur or a really small team? Yeah, I mean, it's whoever's on your team. And I mean, personally, like, I I hate when like a company or a bigger agency just, just puts their executive team because ultimately their executive team does, you know, a little of the actual like day-to-day work. They make obviously the business decisions. They do some of the strategic things, but, you know, a five-person executive team may have, you know, a thousand people behind them. So who are those thousand people? So mm-hmm. for you or your company, that may be you and three other people. Okay, who who is who are those three other people? And really show who they are. Because I mean, like me personally, like when people are left out, like the entry level people off the site and stuff like that, they're like kind of the unsung heroes of the company. And I like I like seeing that as well. Mm. If you would have had to start all over, like a new business, fresh start, what would be those uh, first pieces of content that you would do? I mean, at the time that I started, I think I would be a lot more heavier into video because YouTube was just kind of starting out and you had no, like I mean, their... like right now, like imagine a situation In where 2021? everything is fresh. Yeah, everything is fresh. What would be that for you to get back up as fast as, uh, as you can? What would be the pillar content uh, things that you create? I mean, video and audio, honestly. Well, I mean, honestly, video because I can cut the audio out. So video, and then I can transcribe, I can have the audio as audio, like an audio file and then transcribe it. So I would, I would say a long form video um, that introduces you to the company, what you do, try to cover as much as possible, have whatever your team members, if they're remote, if they're, you know, I would even mention like, if you have a, a constant outsource team, really like go on to like a Zoom or somewhere where you see everyone. And I think actually like in 2021, a lot of like, not professional and not touch videos get a lot more engagement because mm-hmm. it's like a lot more like raw and real and not like let's let's touch this up like uh, you know a fabricated Instagram image mm-hmm. it's just like this is who we are like even if you put like a video on your cell phone you walk through like your home office and then you sit down and you go on to zoom and this is my team and this is what we can do for you just having a long form video that then you can repurpose because from that you can you know I think make content for any platform mm-hmm. and then cut that up you know short short form video clips uh different audio clips and I, I think creating a longer video would then position me to create additional content so that would be kind mm-hmm. of the first co- piece of content i would create what would be there like what kind of talk, uh, what kind of topics would you touch in that long form I mean, if it's just like me just pivoting into a um, into industry, it would be my backstory. It'd be straight up like, listen, uh, you know, I, I just graduated college. <laughs> I mean, it's 2021. I mean, I thought I was going to do this. I'm learning this. I think I'm f- a fairly good expert. I've done this possibly for free for other people. And, you know, I'm taking the leap now. This is my backstory. This is who I'm about. Um, this is what we can do for you. You know, if you entrust us, we can get you there. And these are, you know, the the team that are going to get you there. So like being as authentic as possible and sharing like that, that story to begin with. So transparent, sharing the story and uh, sharing what are you looking to build for the client? Yeah, like what your vision is, what your goal is, like your passion. And I think showing like that emotion in that video. Um, I think like a lot of scripted videos are, are very like, 
you know, dry and, and like there's no emotion in there, but like really showing, you know, you're passionate about it, you're, you'll do your best, you know, you, you're confident in yourself and demonstrating kind of those aspects of it can, I, I think, really connect with an audience. Mm, beautiful advice. Let's look at uh, the concepts of better understanding yourself. Uh, in, in terms of like running the business um, and uh, like working through these decades of, uh, of questions and self-awareness, um, did you come across any specific tools or systems that actually boosted your self-awareness greatly? I don't know about tools or systems, but I mean, just taking the time for myself and having like a just unchaotic time to think and, you know, come to a realization of what like actually like what's going on, because a lot of the stuff that's going on, um, you 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 kind of choose to ignore, you know, what's going on, but like, okay, I don't want to come to terms with it. So really, I guess owning owning things or owning just everything that's going on and owning owning who you are at that moment. But for me personally, just like silence, um, taking time, five, 10 minutes and just like really, I guess, just being in thought and trying to clear my head and just like focus on like what my vision is, if that vision is still like, you know, what am I doing in terms of the chaos around me or like the things I'm doing around my life chaotic that you know, maybe leaving or taking me for, further away from that. Like, what is just going on with me, and what am I currently feeling? Um, because oftentimes you're so busy, you don't even understand, like, comprehend how, like, what your current emotions are. Um, I mean, I've experienced that with, um, you know, I lost my grandfather in uh, February of 2019, and um, it was like that. It was like I was so busy that, like. It, it almost didn't, I almost didn't have enough time to grieve in that process. And I think I, I was trying to stay busy to cope with it. And then when I like, I got some free time, like those emotions really hit. So I think understanding that and really coming to terms, like in, in a moment, kind of a piece. So find whatever like thing that gets you to that piece as close as possible. Do you have any, uh, like, what's your comfort zone to get into that zone of peace? Or w where do you go? Where do you find yourself where you're able to achieve that? Uh, just everybody is out of the house because, I mean, I'm working from a home office and the dogs do not bark. So, you know, you've heard the dog bark earlier uh, with everything going on. There's like deliveries of packages every five seconds on the street. But um just just having a few minutes and just like not looking at my email, not looking at anything, stepping away from stepping away from the screen, getting a cup of coffee, maybe you're just hydrating in terms of water and just like just just sitting there just by myself for a few minutes and then you know taking whatever like level that I reached from that you know moment. Mm. Got you. Looking at um self-care rituals um how do you try to keep yourself as healthy as possible like in your mind in your emotions physically how do you care for yourself yeah well like with everything globally in the last year i kind of like straight up dropped off i'm not gonna you know sugarcoat it i mean prior to that um i started really working out when i was i guess i was 18 and i'm currently 36 so like for for like 15 years straight, I worked out at least a few, um, few days a week. I mean, even on vacation, I'll try to do some calisthenics to run or whatever. Uh, and that actually added a lot of clarity. 
Um, a lot of stuff in terms of a business decision or in general thought process, like I like to, you know, go work out, go for a run, go for a bike ride, go for like a hard, like, you know, lift weights for a half hour, 40 minutes. And then thinking, but thinking, think about it again, because it adds that kind of mental clarity. I know a lot of companies before like this whole lockdown stuff happened, pandemic, they've had walking meetings and stuff like that. So, cause it puts you in a different mindset. Like it adds that clarity, it adds that kind of, you know, hit in terms of um, that exercise, releasing different mm-hmm. endorphins and stuff like that. So I think that's actually helped and kept me uh, a lot more focused than if I didn't have some kind of physical activity for that extended period of time. Mm. Uh, do you have like a certain morning ritual, for example, for yourself, or you just get right into work? Well, <laughs> well, right now it's either my wife and I, we have to take our younger uh, foster kids to daycare and then I come back. I have to feed and take my dogs. I have two dogs and then I'll make a cup of coffee. I'll usually sit maybe 10 minutes and then really, you know, sit down and figure out, like, look at my schedule, look at my calendar, look at my emails, like my create my to-do list. And I mean, that's all within a process or a time span of like an hour. Mm. So if I wake up, let's say at seven, um, you know, usually have to take the kids at 7.30. So by from 7.30, I would say to 8.30 um, is like that whole time frame. Mm, got you. Um, in terms of um, activities that helped you to scale and grow your agency, what would you pinpoint was uh, like kind of the real influence for the growth of income? I would say adding as much value or being receptive to adding as much value as possible and really starting out, um, not burning bridges. So if I could have left, if I left places, I would be leaving them on good terms and keeping that, you know, connection alive. Mm -hmm. Because in that sense, I think your work supersedes and your results, anything, you know, or, or a way you feel about somebody. If you're best in the industry and you may feel a certain way, it doesn't necessarily mean about their skill set. Maybe you have something like you don't like them just because you don't like them. I mean, there's people like that, but you have a, a potential client and they're looking for a service that that person is like the best in class in it. If there's a large enough um, drive in terms of compensation, like you will put that personal thing aside and reach out to the person that's an expert. I've had people where I worked at, you know, one place and um, when I started doing my own thing in terms of my agency, like I didn't necessarily like in this professional sense, I didn't like them. I thought they were like very sloppy, not organized, like threw people under the bus, but then they like went somewhere else. It's like, you know, I know you did good work. So-and-so I was like, what? Like, I, I thought like you had an issue with me. So it's, it's one of those things it, you demonstrating your skill set and your expertise and your results, like, and, and you maintain those relationships they speak for themselves. And I had a lot of people reach out from that. Like, you know, I, I, I have this potential client or I have this relationship that I think you can really develop. So I think just creating as many relationships throughout the, uh, along the way for whatever you do, if you, you know, start a business right away or you graduate college and start a business or you work for other companies and then jump into your own thing, the relationships you build along the way will kind of help you um, fast track your business if you know you've done and and demonstrated who you are well 
Got you. That's great piece of advice not to burn bridges and stay emotionally intelligent and understanding how to develop those relationships in the long run, even though you react to potentially react to it in a, not such a pleasant way at first. And in the long run, that can pay off. Great advice. Uh, let's look at uh, the final part, the, the surrounding. Uh, how would you say the surrounding impacted your growth and success uh, through your journey of developing your business? Surrounding in the sense of what my environment or like uh, my people, people around you, people oh, around you. Yeah, that that I mean, it fostered, it amplified, and 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 basically sped up the growth. And like people, and it is true. Like from what I've seen in my experiences, like the people around you define who you are and your mindset. So like everybody in a certain, uh, you know, uh, company I was at was either getting promoted, going to other companies and taking higher roles, becoming freelancers, starting their own agencies or uh, consulting services. And then I saw like I hung out with them and, you know, they were passionate about what they did. They talked about like motivating stuff that then like my mindset started to change and they were always positive and always like sharing information and being helpful and then I started kind of like, you know, why not me? Like my skill set, you know, at times is even, you know, greater or my experience is more than the people that have done this. And it like val validated and removed some of the fear. Like, you know, if they can do it and I'm this much, you know, I've managed this many more clients or this much more spend, why can't I do it as well? Mm -hmm. Because I mean, you know, if you want to stay in that position, you can stay in that position because I think founding a company, having a side hustle, whatever you're doing on your own, isn't necessarily for everyone or anybody, everyone's lifestyle. So I think it's situational. So if somebody wants to stay and work for a company 30, 40 years, or, you know, do whatever, if that fits you, that's, that's, that's great. But like, if you get people surround yourself with people with a mindset of being entrepreneurs and being hungry mm -hmm. and kind of being like trailblazers in their industry, like eventually that's going to rub off on you. Mm -hmm. How did you, uh, like, what did it take to create that surrounding for yourself, to be surrounding around those people? Did you, like, personally reach out, or was it, like, natural for you that they surrounded you, or how did that count, come to be? No, I mean, we just connected at work. Like, I, I was blessed when, when I left the, the, the place where the person, you know, had the cat pass away. The company that I was at after that, like, it had a large department of people my age. So, at the time, I was, like, mid-20s, and there was a lot of you know, people straight out of college and like similar viewpoints, similar hobbies. So it's like at lunch, everybody went out to lunch, like did activities right after work, like, you know, played sports and whatnot. So there was like that camaraderie and like, obviously like became friends outside of work. And then people started doing the same thing I was doing outside of work. So that naturally like, we're still friends. Okay. He built an agency. He went somewhere. Let's collaborate. Let's do this. Let's talk about strategy. Let's talk about tactics. Let's push each other to do more networking, go to events. And it was just like that accountability, like really pushed me. Mm. Have you ever been part of masterminds? I have not. I am not opposed to them. It's just one of those things I have never, um, I've actually been, like, I'm friends with a bunch of people that do masterminds that, like, in an affiliate space, in a marketing space, like, I've hung out with them um, that, you know, they charge 10, 20, 30, $40,000 for, like, a select group of people to come or fly out wherever, and they basically, like, fast track you in a way, like, data dump, this is all I learned, and this is all works for me. I mean, I'm open to them, but like I said, a lot of the people that 
I've networked with and interacted with and have been friends with and hung out with, like those conversations are like naturally had. So I have like that, the inside, I guess, pass or fast track. But yeah, I mean, I think it's important, like masterminds are great as well as like having a mentor and figuring a mentor that's like in a place in their life where you want to be in, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I think that can really kind of fast track you and propel you and really change the way you think, think about things as well. Mm-hmm. Can you give uh, to the listeners some advice in terms of, like you mentioned, the men- having a mentor. Uh, what kind of mentors uh, do you believe are out there and potentially how to find one? Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be because I, I think it's really unattainable. Like, okay, yes, like uh, I really connect with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm going to reach out to them and and, and he's going to be my mentor. I mean, the guy doesn't have time to sleep. You know what I mean? He gets bombarded all the time. So someone like that is a little bit unrealistic. You have to find somebody like within your life or maybe somebody you've met or something like and not come at them like, I want you to be my mentor. And then like that person has to, if you want to really mentor somebody, you have to devote some kind of amount of time. You have to some, have some kind of FaceTime either, you know, remotely or in person and, and, and kind of like keep that person accountable in terms of a mentor, I think. So really possibly like offering something of value. So like, this is where I'm at, like figuring out what that person may need or, you know, a mutual relationship where like you can both help each other, figuring something else like that out. But I mean, there's plenty of people that, you know, have in my industry, founded industries, uh, founded uh, digital marketing agencies, different agencies have either grown them or kept them where they are in terms of revenue, have sold them. And a lot of them are, you know, open to discussions, open and things like that. So I think it's just one of those things where like you should ask, but you should be realistic as well. Mm-hmm. well what can be the first step to build that relationship? Like w- w- what can be like to reach out or in what way or how can the person, others do that? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally like being genuine about it, but like whatever, like what do you have in common? Um if you have something in common, you, you'll resonate or like, like revolve around that person. So like, if, you know, if I reached out to you, obviously off air, you said you speak, you know, Russian in terms of like Eastern Europe and stuff like that, like that may be something uh, that we connect with. So that can be like the opening, like to the, to the email can be like Kakila or whatever. So something that's like, you know, like personal that like, like gets that person to stop and like actually read it or like direct messaging someone on on a social media platform but not pitching them something or not pushing something like genuinely like you know you know i've i've seen what you've done in terms of like your expertise what you've grown uh, you know i admire what you've accomplished and hope to accomplish something similar i'm on like i'm already on the track so like this is a little bit more about me and like you know i also see that you're from like the same part of the world as i am and it'd be great if like we can touch base you know, if it was in person, like meet up for a cup of coffee, or if I can, you know, offer you something in terms of some, you know, knowledge or resource I have that may help you out that, you know, we can like circle back. And then it's not like I want a half hour or hour, like start with, you know, a 10 minute, you know, 15 minute conversation, like the least you ask, the more likely you're, you're going to uh, Mm -hmm. get a yes. To open the door. Right. And uh, you've mentioned a really great thing where to appreciate first, and then uh, like, see the next step of the connection that that's a great advice um let's wrap up this uh this interview with um with 
a nugget of golden advice from you. So what would you suggest to listeners? What advice can you give that they can take action right now to make the most out of 2021 for the business? Yeah, if you're comfortable, you're not doing something uh, right or you're getting complacent. So I say complacency is the death of innovation. So if you're not, uh, you're not moving, you're not growing. So I think personally, like a lot of things that almost everything that I've accomplished has happened in a state of discomfort. Mm -hmm. So getting to a place where like, I mean, it doesn't have to be super extreme, but like anything you want to do that or accomplish or scale, you're always going to have the thing in the back of your head to say like, well, you know, you're good where you are. You're maybe jeopardizing revenue. You have someone on like getting past that barrier. So basically whatever you're doing, I mean, ultimately it's a you versus you. So getting, that's the first hurdle to get over. So once you get out of your own head, it's a lot easier regardless of what the things to come are and you're more positioned that way. So I think like, just because you have an opportunity that may look scary or daunting doesn't mean you should just give up or not even attempt it. Or if you're oftentimes being dissuaded. So, I mean, personal life. So since June of 2018, my wife and I have fostered 23 kids. If you ask me May or the previous year, would you be a foster parent? I'll probably say no, just a foster parent. But in like fast track, if you ask, you know, by this time, would you have 23? I would not say I have 23 or had five kids at, at once and, you know, managed to keep them all alive. So it's just one of those things where like, you don't know what you're capable of until you actually do it. So worst thing you can do is not try it at all, because if you do try it, okay, it may have not worked out. You get learnings from that. How can you pivot? You know, it may not be the right thing. And like nothing's truly a failure. If you, if you learn something from it. Super. Thank you for being with us, Roman. Uh, for everyone who is interested to know more about uh, online marketing, about SEO and everything else that Roman does, you'll be able to find it in the comments below. I'll provide all the links, uh, all the contact details, and you'll be able to reach out. Uh, Roman also has his own podcast. Uh, is it? Did I remember correctly? The Savage Podcast, right? The Digital Savage Experience. Digital Savage Experience. Uh, and uh, you will be also able to find that in the comments below. I believe Roman shares a lot of value in there. And uh, thank you for being with us, Roman. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.